Hello there. Welcome to the Open Agenda podcast with me, Will Luca, and my co-host, Nat Schaefer. We are both journalism graduates from the University of Gloucestershire, decided to come together and start a podcast. We aim to be conversational and topical, discussing the subjects we take great interest in, such as current affairs, politics, the media, and conversations about everyday life. We hope you enjoy the episodes we release. And don't forget to check us out on social media, at OpenAgendaPod on Twitter. Welcome to the Open Agenda podcast. We're back after quite a few weeks off now. Um, thanks again for uh, to, to David Chadwick for coming on for our, for our last episode. Um, and now we're looking ahead to another episode, and it's it's quite a poignant episode because we're doing this one solo today uh, to discuss the ongoing situation in Ukraine um, and most specifically now the capital of Ukraine it's Kiev mm. not Kiev it's Kiev that's how the Ukrainians say it that's the Russians say it differently but we're going to say Kiev because that's what's going on an awful invasion by Russia let's call it what it is an invasion it's yeah. not a military a military expedition mm. operation as, or operation as, as Putin as Vladimir Putin has, has said. Matt, my first thoughts are that this is something which is war. It's war in Europe, mm. which I don't think in my lifetime I would ever see again. Um, obviously we were born after the Balkan War in the 90s, or the, the Yugoslav War. But the first yeah. genuinely scary time in the 21st century for a war since the Second World War. That's that's how it feels, Will. How does it, how does it feel for you? Um, it feels, yeah, it feels kind of weird and scary and even though this is a place hundreds of miles from us, I still feel a, a connection to what's going on and a, a kinship with people of Ukraine. I think the, the, the biggest thing, Matt, is that, yeah, you we say it's thousands of miles away, but it's still close to home because it's our continent. Yeah. It's, it's Europe, exactly. it's our continent. Um, never been on a scale like this before. Um, and we've, what I've heard from people that are close to my family, we've been asking about what was it like during the Cuban Missile Crisis during the Cold War? And that was full of tension. We all thought that was mm. going to start World War III. Um, but I sort of have a feeling that, uh, is, is this World War III? Because if, if we think about Vladimir Putin's plans, mm. is he going to go further than Ukraine? If he's thinking just Ukraine, because it's not mm. a NATO member, then maybe it's not so much World War III. But if NATO, if he, if he decides to invade a NATO country, 
then yeah, yes, that the prospect of it That's, being World War Three mm. is quite huge. Is that what you do? You, do you feel the same? <clears throat> yeah, from from what I understand, it's um, I, I don't want to um downplay what's what's going on there, but and or disrespect Ukraine or its people, but. But yes, if, if Putin's plan is just to invade Ukraine and take it over, basically, and not go further than that, then I don't see a bigger conflict uh, emerging. But it's like you said, if if he then proceeds to invade a NATO country, that's when we might be looking at something more... Um, something with more nations involved, more conflict naturally um and yeah potentially a, a third world war i don't i don't i can't say for definite that it'll that it would do that but that it would come to that but it looks as though it may do let's get into the substance of what's going on in ukraine and kiev yeah. um president putin has said that the Ukrainians will just surrender. They'll, that's mm. basically what he said in the propaganda machine. That is not the case. <coughs> Ukrainians yeah. have are resistant, and rightly so. Mm. The Ukrainian military has said it's fought off several attacks. The military has said in a Facebook post, as we record, 11 o'clock on this Saturday, mm. Saturday morning, the military said in a Facebook post early on, earlier this morning that an army unit managed to repel Russian forces near its base on a major city street in Kyiv. And I have to say, Nat, the courage and the bravery of President Zelensky, or Zelensky, sorry, yes. mm. we won't lay down our arms, we will defend our mm. states. Now, that is a brave mm. president to stay in Kyiv when Absolutely. his life possibly is going to be in danger mm. in days, months, probably, probably this, probably tomorrow, tomorrow. That's that that is something bravery mm. of, of, of huge bravery and courage for for President Zelensky. Absolutely. And the Ukrainian people are are fighting back, which I think yeah, it's their democracy now. That's the most important thing. That's what they're fighting mm. for. It's a democratic country, and that's yeah. what the West. Is that's why we're all standing in solidarity with Ukraine because mm. it is a democracy, it's a democratic state, right? That must be the feeling that you have as well. Um, yeah, and I mean, on on one level, I'm sort of, I guess, sad and concerned that just members of the public are being given, um, they're being given guns and other, you know weapons and being encouraged to fight themselves on the streets like that that just says to me that they don't have enough military support if if they're having to involve members of their own public in the fighting but at the same time like you said it does um it speaks to their love for their country and their democracy that 
that they're prepared to fight for it on their own terms and you know resist the threats that Putin is trying to impose. It's so it's I guess upsetting and inspiring at the same time. I also think like the Ukrainian Twitter posted a cartoon of Vladimir Putin being I don't know what what the word is his cheeks being touched by a cartoon of Hitler mm. Adolf Hitler um, yeah now I'm not for one minute suggesting that Putin is on the same scale as Hitler but the comparisons are there what Hitler did in 1936 to bring troops back to the Rhineland in 1938 to invade Czechoslovakia, annex Austria, mm. and of course in 1939 to invade Poland and begin a Second World War. Scenes in 1938, black and white pictures of Czechoslovakia mm. being invaded, I never thought we'd see it in colour pictures. Probably not on the same no. scale mm. yet because the Russians haven't taken Kiev fully, but I never thought I would see Russian planes, Russian tanks, missiles in Ukraine and in, in Kyiv. Now, how much in Europe, in the West, have we miscalculated President Putin? We've been too soft. Is that the case since Crimea in 2014? We've been yeah, so I, mm. very, very soft. Um, yeah, I don't. I can't claim to have been following um, since that. The, the whole of that eight-year period, I can't. Um, we're not experts. Been monitoring. No, we're not experts. We're not experts. Mm. So I haven't really been. Possibly the first few years of that period, I wasn't so aware of the the way that we in the West felt about Putin and about Russia and strength of feeling possibly towards them um so yeah i don't i think there was always the the possibility that people always thought that he might try and invade um like this but i think it was always discussed as a theory rather than as a something that might actually happen if that makes sense I think that's the thing. Vladimir Putin has noted like how when he annexed Crimea that the West just sort of sort of shrugged its shoulders, just yeah, didn't really do anything. We allowed <clears throat> from from my point of view, from a from a sporting point of view, we allowed Russia to to host the World Cup. We allowed mm. it to host the Winter Olympics in Sochi in 2014. Mm. And also, I have to point out from a sporting point of view, Russia will not be hosting the Champions League final for football in St. Petersburg. That's been no. moved to Paris. Uh, the Formula One in, in Russia in September, it's due to go ahead in September, is not going to happen. Um, and there's also talk about Poland now refusing to play Russia in a World Cup qualifier. Of course, the World Cup, Football World Cup in, in, in Qatar in uh, 2022, coming up later this year, they have refused to... Um, to, to, to play that game but now I think the most important thing from the Ukrainian people they have not bought 
the propaganda machine that comes out of Moscow. No. Because Putin's line is that Ukrainian Ukraine needs to be denazified. Mm. He's claiming that genocide is taking place in in the eastern parts of Ukraine, in, in the Donbass and those parts of Ukraine, which is not true. It's lies. No. There's right. been no evidence of that at all. How on earth can, this is a broad question, how on earth can social media ban Donald Trump from Twitter, yet they've mm. done absolutely nothing to ban Russian Twitter accounts? Facebook have said they're, they're doing something about it. Um, mm. But that's another thing that's going to happen. This is a war of social media as well. We never had a social yeah. media during the Second World War, the First World War. Right. This is the age we're living in, isn't it? Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and I'd have to look a bit more into sort of what um, uh, what different platforms' um, policies are on disinformation, um, like Facebook or Twitter. What what are the grounds for getting someone's account suspended, um, especially when it's somebody like Trump or Putin? Um, or their supporters, um, because obviously one one thing to consider is that a lot of the accounts spreading this disinformation are not <laughs> they're not actual people. They're not actual like living, breathing supporters of Trump or of Putin. They're they're bots. They're you know they've been programmed to come out with this stuff and not have it be traced to um to anyone in particular which obviously makes things all the more difficult when we're trying to crack down on this stuff um yeah I, but what do you reckon will do you reckon that's um that's had much of an impact on on what you were saying on trying to ban trump and putin from from Facebook and Twitter? Well, Russia has restricted access to Facebook. Russia has mm. limited access to Facebook over the platform's stance and the accounts of several Moscow-backed news outlets. Um, yeah. There's also a question here in the UK of whether Ofcom should take down Russia today. Mm. Um, but I think one thing I would say to that is the retaliation that Russia can do. They can tell Steve Rosenberg on BBC News to, to do one, to, to leave leave the country like Sarah Rainsford. BBC had to be she mm. was uh, banished from from Russia from reporting. She's she's in Eastern Ukraine, as far as I'm I'm aware. So it's very as mm. as us to point that out now, as we are graduates, uh, journalists, we want to get into journalism. That um, how brave journalists are right now, not just yeah, our own absolutely. British mm. journalists and American journalists, another journalists mm. in Western countries are in Kiev tonight or, in, mm. uh, uh, or around Ukraine right now, but also. Ukrainian journalists from the Kiev yes. Independent, for example, mm. how brave they are at the moment. Um, Absolutely. And now I just want to touch on the Russia side of things and what's happening happening in Russia. There are protests mm. in Russia. There are, yes. Brave, courageous people are saying, no, we don't want this. Mm. Yeah. And I, I, I said a minute ago about um, um, Poland uh, boycotting the, the, the World Cup playoff against Russia. Uh, he, he's not Russian, of course. Vlad, um, uh, Robert Lewandowski is the po Polish 
footballer. Uh, he has said that we can't pretend that nothing is happening. But there are Russian celebrities who are not happy with this. They're also obviously normal Russian people, but also Russian sports stars are not happy with it as well. I think it's, it's, it's mm. some people say that sport and politics should never mix, but I think that this is actually, it's all relevant, really. And I have to point out from my own interest in cycling, the mm. Russian cyclist for the Ineos Grenadiers, the British cycling team, Pavel uh, Sivakov, he has said that he, mm. he's against all this. So there are Russian celebrities and sports yeah. stars who are coming out against it. But those Russian people in particular now, let's mm. focus on them. Bravery. Just mm. as much as the Ukrainian people fighting back are brave, those Russian people who are not taking the propaganda machine in Moscow, mm. in Russia, they're not having any of it. Again, it's bravery, right. isn't it? No. Mm. And it's almost more impactful when they do it, in a way, because... It's one thing for people in Britain or in the United States to protest against a war, but when it's the aggressor's own country doing it, it's you you sort of stop and listen to it a bit more, I think. I think. What um, do you reckon? If you if you go on me on the major news outlets that are. In the West, the, I think there are three words that are coming out from from what um, what the mood is from from brave Russians who are speaking out is that they're shocked, they're horrified, and they're bewildered. Yeah. Um, but we all know that what what happens to people who who disagree or dissent against the Kremlin line, mm. they get shoved in a police van. Is it Russia is a police yeah. state? Um, you only have to look at what's happened to Alexei Navalny. Um, being put in prison mm. so I think also now we have to pay attention to the West's reaction now sanctions are obviously been hit uh, of course in the last couple of or well, the last day or so the West has imposed sanctions on Russia's Vladimir Putin and of course his foreign minister Sergei Lavrov um, the men's assets in the US, EU, UK, and Canada will be frozen. And in the mm. in the case of the US, a travel ban has been imposed as well. Um, that came on the second day of, of Russian of the Russian invasion uh, of, of U- yeah. Ukraine. Um, the problem we got, Nat, is that Germany's reliance on Russian gas. Um, mm. Angela Merkel's been criticised over many years for her stance on Putin. Mm. Um, I think I think some in our country, when we, I know it's not right to be divisive or anything, but I think some Remainers have got to accept that she was pretty soft um, for mm. all people have love and warmth for the EU. I think even Donald Tusk, the former European Council president, has said he's, he's criticised um, Germany, I think Italy as well, about mm. how soft they've been not to do anything about all this. Mm. So the West, how much how much will sanctions actually work? In the long term, mm. yes. But in the short um, term, well, it, no. 
I yeah, I mean, and it, I think it depends. It depends on whether you're looking at the short term or long term, and I think it depends also on who you're talking to. Um, but I guess the one of the main purposes of sanctions is to sort of hinder Russia's ability to finance a war. Um, so I mean, like I've written down here, they. Um, apparently spend $61.7 billion a year on maintaining their armed forces compared with Ukraine, which spends $5.4 billion a year. Um, so, you know, they're, they're one of the most militarized states in the world, basically. And if it's possible to sort of cut off their sources of funding for their armed forces, I think that could could go quite some way. And let's focus on the UK in particular. Now, mm. the UK government has announced more individuals and companies that it is sanctioning uh, following the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Um, mm. Interesting piece, uh, must read piece in The Guardian, and that uh, in the in the opinion section from Oliver Bulo, um, regular contributor to to the Guardian, uh, long reads. He's also the author of Moneyland, Why Thieves and Crooks Now Rule the World and How to Take It Back. Um, the point is that Boris Johnson's claim that the UK is rooting out dirty Russian money, um, mm. and he said that's ludicrous. And that. We had the Russia report in 2019-ish. Dominic Grieve, the chair of the intelligence, well, the former chair of the intelligence and security committee, said that that report should have been released before the 2019 general election. It wasn't. It was released in 2020. I think it was. I think it was May, May sometime at that time. And in that report, yeah. it said that for too long, Britain has has hardly done anything to look at dirty Russian money. And our intelligence services haven't gone looking for Russian interference in elections. Mm. It almost seems as if our government, or successive governments, not just conservative governments, but mm. Labour governments in the past, have just turned a blind eye and not done anything about it. What time? Time, um, time to change. Yeah, ab absolutely. And I think, but I think that possibly an event like this, like this invasion, was sort of the wake up call for that. Like, I, I'm not sure that. Even the Crimea incursion in 2014, I'm not sure that was significant enough an event to have people understand just, you know, the threat that Russia poses to the Western world. Like, there was no, do you know what I'm saying? There was no sort of impetus to, to look into it. Like, there was no sort of, it was really easy to underestimate their power and to sort of take it for granted in a way. And so maybe that's why there wasn't such an urgency to link into Russian funding of our democracy. What, what do you reckon? Well, the Russia report by the Intelligence yeah. Security Committee, um, yeah. they heard evidence from senior law enforcement, from security officials, 
it was detailed and there were suggestions for what our country should do to limit the damage Vladimir Putin has already done to our society. Mm. There also, as Oliver, Oliver, Oliver Bulo says in his, in his piece, that journalists have been writing about this for quite a long time. The Byline Times, for example, has been writing about this for, for quite a long time. It's not, it's not overreactive. It's not, it's not creating hysteria. The report also said that our investigative agencies are underfunded, our, our economy is awash with dirty money, and Russian oligarchs have brought influence at the very top of our society. It's also not suggested that probably we've also heard reports of, of Chinese dirty money in our, in our country as well. But um, I think that it's got to be the case that Boris Johnson has also said in the past that he said on leaving the EU that we could launch our own independent sanctions regime. And this week we've seen a response to that. It's our sanctions have been weak. Tom mm. Tugendhat, the chair of the Foreign Affairs Select Committee, said that our our sanctions response was, was weak, was really, really mm. weak. So It could have gone further, that's for sure. Yeah, it could have gone further. And we look at our own political parties. The Conservative Party, it's truth, it's not lies. Caroline Lucas uh, spoke about it at Prime Minister's Questions in the week about Russian funding. Uh, Chinookin is... Uh, the, Mr Chinookin is, is one of the names that has, that has been um, claimed or... Obviously, there are pictures of his wife being pictured next to Theresa May and Liz Truss and so many other things um, which are important to, to, to claim. And again, you go back to some of the pieces that have already been written by journalists. John Sweeney, for example, again, for the Byline Times. Um, I, know, I know some people who listen who probably are critical of, of the Byline Times because it's most of the readers are... are are passionate about remaining in the EU and things like that. But mm. when we have a, a right-wing press in our country, a right-wing media, we need alternative media that yeah. actually doesn't, that isn't captured by power, actually stands up to power. Right. Then that is what, that's what yeah. Byline Times mostly does. Mm. Boris Johnson also has a close relation to uh, Lord Lebedev, Lord Lebedev, of course, owns uh, the Independent, the Evening Standard. The yeah. reports suggest that he's a useful idiot for the Kremlin. Um, and of course, Peter Mandelson, the for well, he's we we know that he is sort of a, he's in the mix of Keir Starmer and his yeah. uh, campaign to be prime minister. We know that he's had associations with. With Russians before, of course, they they all denied wrongdoing. That of course they're going to do that. But now I think it's incumbent on our political parties, our politics, to clean this all up. That's that's the basics of it. Mm. Um, absolutely, it is. Yeah, and as I was saying, like, I think that an event like this, well, I'd hope anyway that an event like this is enough to wake people up to the 
extent of of Russian dirty money in our dirty money in general in our um, democracy and you know quite how long it would take to properly divest from all of that I don't, I'm not sure and whether it will change under another government um, if the Labour Party gets in power at the next election I, I can't I don't know whether it would persist to the same extent or whether whether they would have um whether prime minister Keir Starmer would have his own challenges in, in divesting from all that i it's remains to be seen but i possibly i i would guess not to the same extent as under this conservative party because of like the people that Boris Johnson and other senior Tories are linked to and have, you know, declared or not declared um, uh, funding from. Yeah, I just uh, just want to obviously uh, check and confirm about what mm. I said earlier. Just to confirm, is it six oligarchs who've made their their gold in the post-Soviet space? have been markedly opaque about Vladimir Putin. These are the words of John Sweeney in the Byline Times. Have been markedly generous to the Conservative Party. This is all truth. It's not lies. It's facts. Conservative parties were, were barracking Caroline Lucas in the week because they didn't want to hear it. The Conservative Party and or Boris Johnson personally, Vladimir Chinookin and his wife Lubov, Viktor Fedotov, Alexander Lebedev and his son Lord Lebedev and Alexander Timurko. In plain English, they all, they all have all had snow on their boots. Again, we, we all mm. said there's no suggestion of any wrongdoing on, their, on the oligarchs' part, but in the current global crisis, John Sweeney rightly points out conflicts of interest for Britain's ruling Conservative Party is, is a huge concern. Mm. That the Conservative Party has money coming in from Russian oligarchs who we believe are close to Vladimir Putin, are you going to stop it or not? Even 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 the US, I think the, the US intelligence uh, have said that they are concerned about Russian money in our in UK politics. So mm-hmm. what we do about it is 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 up for them. And um, I think that what we have to consider is it's obviously both political parties have got to, to to do something about this and they've got to also mm. come together but whether the conservative party do it or not is, is another question um now this is for quickly focus on america uh joe biden i also want to just talk about um yeah the reactions to all this um joe biden uh, obviously made uh was, was very firm in his uh press conference the other night about uh sanctions I think um, there's also the point that Biden won't, that we also are talking about, about, about troops being sent to Ukraine. I think Joe Biden is obviously, um, he has shared in his press conference, it was quite revealing that he, there was a sense of sharing caution about risking US troops actually going on the ground. Um but now, I think the most important thing, it feels like Mr. Biden's now the president. 
Mm. It's a remarkable change to what we had previously. It is, yes. And I've, um, <laughs> I know I'm not, I'm not alone in saying that I'd be terrible if, um, if the other guy had won the election in 2020, I'd be terrified of what would be happening now. I mean, it's, it's obviously scary enough as it is, but with, you know, I think I think we know who Donald Trump would side with in a, in a conflict like this. Do you know what my real concern is, is that in a recent AP NORC poll found that 72% of Americans don't want their country to or they don't, they don't sorry let me rephrase that a recent AP NORC poll found 72% said that the US should play a minor role in the Russia-Ukraine conflict or none at all mm. they are mainly focused on rising inflation and of course the response to COVID um, I also happen to think in terms of that word, democracy, whether mm. President, or no, no longer President Trump, former President Trump and his his fan base, and obviously in our own country, the, the, the Corbyn camp, uh, obviously Nigel Farage on the, the far right as well, whether they actually care about that word democracy with their response to all this. They've... Nigel Farage has always said that NATO expansion has been the problem. The, the Corbynite wing of the Labour Party on the left have always said that NATO expansion has been the problem. It's his mm. response to the Salisbury poisonings was, again, one reason why people didn't want to vote for Corbyn in the 2019 election. His response to that, yeah. they didn't see him as standing up for Britain. Um, mm. it, I just come to the point that they're both as bad as each other. They, they are, yeah, and. I know it's not, um, with some people, it's not popular to say that, but certainly on issues like foreign policy and, you know, whether Britain should have a nuclear deterrent or, you know, the existence of something like NATO, there are probably more similarities between them than differences. And finally, Nat, just to mm. we're going to wrap this this episode now. We're going back to mm. just going. To, I just want to go back to the the the, the Ukraine, the Ukrainian people, because mm. it's Ukrainian people that are suffering. I, I'm I'm just looking at my Twitter now. Um, some 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 Ukrainian uh, residents on on my Twitter uh, handle. A couple got married in Kiev, mm. and the next day they 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 have arms ready to fight. Yeah, it's, yeah, and the children that as well. Um, mm. Yes, it's the children that suffer in wars as well, just as much as adults. Um, right, and we, I think we also now just get your your thoughts is that we are going to have to prepare for a, a refugee crisis again in, in Europe. Um, we are, yeah, and um, and honestly, from 
thinking back to last summer with um what happened in Afghanistan and the reluctance I guess of of this government to taking enough refugees I'm not hopeful that they want to take in enough refugees from Ukraine um but we can lobby them we can petition them we can do what we can to emphasize that these people matter and they need um they need refuge um that's all i've really got to say on it <laughs> yeah i I, th- I think it's it's upsetting as well because it is yeah the videos we've seen of the videos i've seen of, of missiles hitting civilians and and children mm, yeah um children crying it's mm. incredibly hard to to watch and to hear um i also just want to point out that um uh, dominic dyer um and this is this is another important thing he's uh mm. wildlife protection and animal animal welfare animal welfare campaigner I've seen yeah. so many pictures of animals in 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 the Ukrainian in, in the, the you know the subways, uh, which is reminiscent of the blitz in our own country of our civilians going to take shelter in, in the London Underground during the blitz. Mm. I've seen pictures of of animals, and um, that's that's another important point to stress and. In terms of the refugee crisis and, and neighbouring countries allowing Ukraine Ukrainian refugees to come, I think we have to say hats off to um, Poland because the po- Poland uh, Poland's prime minister uh, he com- he is confirmed that the Polish border is open for all Ukrainians, even those that have valid ID. He's also said that they are welcome to bring their pets with them. So it's children. That's, that's important. Like people people need that in order to like they, they don't just need obviously they need food and shelter and clothing and security but they also need things that are going to help them get through on an on an emotional level so i i think i'm i think that's that's really um that's a really good thing that he's done in well that's that that's the thing that is that these are Ukrainian people. These are Ukrainian civilians who are leaving, not mm. knowing whether they'll ever return. Yeah. Whether they ever, will they ever return to Ukraine to where they've lived their lives and mm. when they've had where they've had democracy. Um, mm. You've got to, to some are leaving, some are sheltering, and like you said, you you take your pet with you or the animal that you've loved for so long that you take you take with you to care for you can't leave mm. them behind um you take something that's special to you that matters because like i said it, it, this that their homeland is being invaded mm. um and i think you're both you'll you'll agree with me that is that democracy is is um is a precious thing it is, yeah. And I, I think so I was just gonna say that I think we in the West often underestimate what a, a precious thing it is. And 
how fragile it can be a lot of the time. And I, I know that we say that a lot on, with, about, oh, you know, about the Tories and about Brexit and whatever. Oh, it's a, you know, we don't live in a democracy. We, um, but we, we do. We don't appreciate the freedoms that we have until we see something like what's happened in Ukraine this week. Mm. Really gives, gives a sense of perspective. Well, I think there was there was widespread agreement on on BBC Question Time the other night. Um, mm. James Cleverly, the, the foreign minister, and David Lammy, the, the the shadow foreign secretary, all in agreement that mm. a democracy is something worth is something worth fighting for. We can agree yes. to disagree. Voters are conservative, Labour. Green, Liberal Democrat, SNP, mm. Brexit, Remain, mm. pro-independence or, or unionist. We're all here to, to express our opinions and allow them to, to, be, to be debated. Whereas over in Russia, mm. you can't. Mm. You can't. People are. People are mm. speaking out. There's no questioning. There's no protest. No. It's just a propaganda machine on Russian state television. Mm. There are brave journalists in, who are fighting back in Russia, but they are, their powers are, their reporting is either hacked or, or just taken down. Mm. Um, mm. So democracy is worth fighting for that. And it has yeah. to be the big, the biggest message. <clears throat> Yeah. Now we've been talking for 30 minutes. We we've discussed mm. at the start about the Ukrainian people about how desperately desperate it's just a desperate situation they are. What mm. what would be your final final thoughts because as as we said before we recorded this we 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 were mm. discussing that this is something we're going to be talking about on this podcast for quite a while. Mm. The news cycle is going to be talking about this journalism journalists are going to be talking about this we're all going to bear the brunt of it from an economic mm. point of view uh, uh, in the foreseeable um so what are your what are your final final thoughts final thoughts um i guess just sympathy and solidarity with the people of, of ukraine and i sort of wish that i could do more to support them and help them but anything that i can do i will Well, there are there are there have obviously been protests and solidarity with Ukraine um, mm. in Westminster, uh, obviously across Europe, across Europe. Um, seeing people protesting outside the Russian embassy in Latvia, for example, with with Ukrainian flags. Um, so, mm. I think as we said at the start of the show, now one reflection from me is that we we have to believe that Ukraine. Is theirs. It's not Vladimir Putin's. Mm. And also point right. out that this is this is Putin's war. This isn't it the is. Russian people's war. It's, no, not no at all. The Russian people are not having it. Some that are not prepared to be brainwashed by the propaganda by the mm. by Russian state television, the propaganda machine that comes out of Moscow. Yeah. And the democracy, as we said, is a fragile thing worth fighting for 
Yes. And we will continue to talk about it. We will stand up to. for what we believe in. We right. Will, we, we, myself and and you, we've we have disagreed on some things before in the past, but mm. we do it. That's what we do. It's a, it's it's a democracy. We're allowed to disagree, and make and hold politicians accountable, and that's what we'll continue to do and continue to talk about things. And since for this podcast now, we must point out our thanks to all our guests that have been on previously. We will hopefully have more yeah. guests on for other podcasts in the future. We've got some some good um, episodes lined up and ideas lined up and ready. We, have. we must, uh, now I think, important for you to say, um, mm. for, for both of us to say, we will we will focus on other topics like we've done previously. We will do, yeah. Yeah, we've got... Um, Again, cluck, cluck, just because it, it sounds a bit, it, it's no, no, in no way to to distance the severity of what's going on in Ukraine. But no. whilst it is important, we will still talk about domestic politics. Mm. We will still talk yeah. about climate change mm. and people who have stories to tell, uh, like mm. of course Bex Bamford yeah. for our first ever episode. So mm. we've still got lots of ideas ready to go. Um, yes. But for now, Nat, thank you for joining yeah, me on the well. Open Agenda podcast. Plenty more episodes to come. And don't forget to check us out on social media. We, mm. I, I've kept on saying it, Nat. We need to get on this Facebook page. We, I've still... Mm. It, it just obviously is yeah, a uh, out of my head. We need to get one sorted. We'll get one soon. Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll sort it out. We'll sort it out and... Um, I think most importantly, we, we're still on Twitter at Open Agenda Pod, and uh, the Instagram is is getting there as well. It's getting there slowly, um, mm. but we got we've got more to come, more plans to come, more 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 ideas to to record, and more guests in mind. So, yeah, there's lot, lots lots more to talk about. <coughs> but yeah. for now, now our thoughts are with the Ukrainian people. Yes. So thank you, Nat, for once again for the podcast. Yeah, thanks. Well. Thank you to those who listen. Thank you very much, Nat. Yeah. And do listen and wait and check out when our next episode lands. Yeah. And, and follow us on Twitter at Open Agenda Pod um, and on Instagram as Open Agenda Podcast. I think that the more people, the more people see it, then the more people will, will listen, hopefully. Oh, as as I've always said, thanks to those who listen right now uh, to our podcast mm. so thank you now and thank you to those who listen mm.